Welcome to another episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. We invite you to join us today as we discuss the topic of grief and explore how intentionality in prayer can turn our woundedness into a source of life and grace for others. Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop, building the church at home, a place where faith and family meet. Insight from a priest, a mother, and a whole bunch of others. I'm Emily Lugo. And I'm Father Stephen Ingram. Join us as we enter St. Joseph's Workshop. Yeah, you know, this this topic of grief is a really powerful one because as we look out into our lives, into the world around us, there's a lot to grieve over. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like every time I watch the news or listen to it on the radio, there's something that is just terrible that's happening in the lives of of others or in the lives of people I know who are coming to me, grief seems to be one of the most challenging things in our lives. And in fact, it's for a lot of people, a reason they don't feel like they can believe in God because of all the evil that's happening in the world, all the things to be sorrowful about. It's a struggle to believe in a good and loving God when there's so much suffering in the world. And so this this topic of grief is a, a really powerful one, and especially during you know this month of September in which we're publishing this podcast, we remember a lot of pretty tragic things. I mean, we've got a lot of people still suffering from natural disasters. You know, we recently had those terrible fires in Maui, you know, and we're still figuring out what's going on with all of that. And trying to deal with the utter destruction Mm -hmm. of people's livelihoods, people's lives. And we're also remembering this month some great tragedies that happened over a decade ago on September 11th. We remember the thousands of people who died in those attacks on our nation here in the United States. You know, we're remembering such terrible things in the midst of our lives And it's always a struggle. It's always hard. We feel it in our hearts. And those feelings in our hearts often want to drag us down. And so what we want to talk about during this this episode is how do we bring those experiences before the Lord? How do we recognize the goodness of that grief and offer it to our Heavenly Father? As you mentioned, Father, um, you know, so many people are touched by painful things throughout their lives, um, experiencing grief and suffering. And for many, it can be a factor when whether, as you mentioned, they continue to believe in the Lord or they reject him um, in their own loneliness and their suffering, just feeling that no one is with them. And so this is a topic that is really important, and I think especially not only for those who are experiencing grief, but for those who are accompanying them, for how yeah. we can reach out to them and, and be God, God's light to them and, and show his love through our actions and sh- through our words or just even our simple presence. There, you know, that is something that's so important. As you mentioned, this, this month of September, we, you know, as a nation, grieve and we remember September 11th, and again, all of the different natural disasters that we're experiencing. But in our Catholic world and realm, you know, the month of September is devoted to Our Lady of Sorrows. And we had talked in our last episode about how August was the devotion to Our Lady, um, I'm sorry, the devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so we're kind of naturally moving into looking at Mary in a different way and looking at her because of the suffering that she went through. And not just her personally, but the fact that almost this this co-redemption, you know, the suffering that she had was for our sake and our salvation because it involved her son, our Lord, and his death. Um, so we would like to take a look at that and what does that devotion mean and how can we as Catholics enter into it? But before we do, I want to backtrack a little bit because we've been talking about a lot of different evo- devotions in our podcast lately. And so I just want to remind people, because for many, maybe these are not something that they grew up with or they're familiar with. Of course, we know our mass and the liturgy is a source and the summit of our faith. Um, But devotions are just a way that can help turn us to the Lord and draw us deeper into the liturgy. 
And so just for those of you who maybe don't know, devotions in particular, they are practices of worship of God or sometimes even honoring the saints. And again, as I mentioned, it's to help lead us into the deeper ministry of our Lord and his presence in the Mass. Um, The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops describe devotions as expressions of love and fidelity that arise from the intersection of one's own faith, culture, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for many, it has a strong emotional appeal, or maybe it's something that's simple in form, but truly it's just a type of prayer that allows us to just engage in our emotions and our feelings and draw us deeper into contemplation to think about the Lord. Um, And so in particular, when we look at this month of September and the devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows, we can look at the devotion to the seven sorrows of Mary and how that can be a source of healing for those who are experiencing suffering. And Father, maybe I'll ask you if you can kind of break open that devotion and maybe give us a little history on it. Yeah, you know, that that word devotion we use in a lot of other contexts, and I think it can be helpful for understanding what we mean when we talk about these religious devotions. You know, it's, you know, if, uh, if you describe a devoted husband, it's, you know, one who is always attentive to his wife, is always meeting her needs and looking out for her, even when she's not aware of her own needs, you know, and the same for a devoted father doing the same for his kids, you know, a devoted mother does the same for her children, you know, always caring for and paying attention to that person we're devoted to. And that's really what this devotion is all about. You know, every devotion is all about. It's expressing that love and growing in that love through our expression of it. And that's what this devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows is all about. It's about paying attention and learning from and growing closer to Our Lady, Mother Mary, in her sorrows. Because a lot of times we think about the saints and we think about their glory in heaven and we forget that they struggled on earth. They had hard times, a lot of them. And in fact, our Lord says that if you choose to carry the cross, you will have struggles. You will have trials. And the key is carrying the cross through the trials. And so being devoted to Our Lady of Sorrows is a powerful way of recognizing that Our Lady has experienced sorrow. Her life with Jesus was not a perfect life of joy all the time. Mm -hmm. Even though her life was filled with joy, she also had sorrow in the midst of all of that. Even though she was inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit, she experienced times when she felt loss, experienced loss, and experienced struggle and suffering. And so this devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows helps us grow in that that recognition that God is with us in the midst of all of this. Yeah, and and I think that's a great thing to point out because for many people, when you are in the midst of pain and suffering and you you are asking the question, you know, Lord, you know, why is this happening to me? To be able to look and see that, you know, even Mary, the mother of our Lord, suffered. And of course, we know that Jesus suffered. He was crucified on the cross. So following God does not mean that he's going to free us or promise us that we will never suffer in this life. It's almost inevitable that that will happen. But we can learn through them that in the midst of that, we can cling to the Lord and that he will be there in our midst. And then also that we are called into community to pray for one another and to support one another in the midst of all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, so this this devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows is is a really interesting one. Um, it's got some really interesting origins to it. Um, there were there's a an order called the Servite Order, and it was founded by seven young men in Florence who were very wealthy young men. They were from well known families. They were of the the patrician class. They were you know, essentially going to be leaders in their community as they grew up. And they recognized in the midst of their wealth, their power, their influence, that the Lord was calling them to a radically different way of life. He was calling them to essentially give it up. And so they together, these seven young men, founded an order that's now known as the Servites, but their official title were Servants of Mary. 
and still is to this day. We abbreviate it because Servants of Mary is one, it seems very generic as we talk about it, you know, today, but it's also a little bit of a mouthful. And so they've been kind of abbreviated to the Servites. But as Servants of Mary, they were focused very much on living out a radically different life than they'd been living beforehand. And so they wanted to focus, because they'd been wealthy, on living a life of poverty. And they also wanted to recognize that they needed to grow in their connection with those who are poor and suffering, and so they practiced intentional penance. And it was that focus on penance that led them to contemplation of the seven sorrows of Mary, because those were the ways in which she suffered in her life. And they, as her servants, wanted to grow in their ability to suffer with Christ, to suffer like Christ and with the other poor who they were choosing to be with. And so this, this turned into a devotion through their intention. It turned from their personal desire to grow in this into something others recognized, and it took form in this shape of the seven sorrows of Mary, which we can recognize mostly in Scripture. Six of the seven sorrows are explicitly in Scripture, and that seventh one that isn't explicit is in the Stations of the Cross, which is one of the oldest devotional traditions in the Church. And so they meditated on these seven moments in which Mary particularly suffered. Not that there weren't other sufferings in her life, because I'm sure there were times when, you know, she maybe twisted her ankle or stubbed her toe, you know, those little things in life that tend to happen because of imperfections in the world. But these are the more deep sorrows, and especially the spiritual sorrows that she experienced in her life that we can reflect on as ways to connect our grief with her grief, and ultimately because she united all things to Christ, to his grief, for sins, for all its effects, for evil in the world, and bring it to the Lord for redemption. And so, you know, as people got to know the Servites, got to see the wonderful things that were happening, they picked up this habit from them of meditating on these seven sorrows of Mary, so that they too could grow in these ways of holiness that they saw these young men really living out, that more and more people were attracted to in their order. And so this became much more of a popular devotion beyond just the Servite order, which was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so we've had this now since the 13th century, and it grew and grew and grew. And eventually, you know, came to be a powerful thing in the devotion of many. Um, I, I think at one point um, it, it grew even beyond the Servites, not just popularly, but even with other saints getting involved. You know, um, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about this Servite rosary and how that's different from the devotion itself. I don't know mm. if it's just more reflection and con- contemplation into into the the sorrows of Mary. But as I think about this and I look at the different sorrows that they focus on as a mother, you know, you, you can't even imagine what Mary must have felt. Um, I mean, my child can have a fever and <laughs> 102, no, you know, maybe nothing that's even so much, but you know, I'm praying to the Lord, take the fever from them, give it to me. Don't, I don't want them to be in pain. So to be able to be with Mary and think about these different sorrows that she experienced and to pray with her and for her in the midst of that, I think is something that can be very powerful. Um, because when I look at this, you know, part of it is the contemplation, the, um, you know, reading the scripture and thinking about those moments in Mary in Mary's life. And I, you know, I like to think about putting myself in that position and what must she have felt and what would it have been like. Um, but then apart from imagining that, then it's also just thinking as a friend, as a sister in Christ, what can I do to help console her heart in the midst of that suffering? Mm -hmm. And something that I think is really interesting about this devotion and about our prayer that's so such a mystery to us is the fact that God 
who is omniscient and is beyond time, we can pray to him beyond that time, you know, so here is Mary. And if I would like to console her and her suffering, watching Jesus on the cross, and I'm asking the Lord um, to be with her, to help to take away that pain that I maybe can help to take it on for her to bear that weight, that my prayers now in 2023 um, can potentially impact the past where she lived because beyond is not hindered by time, that he is beyond that. And I think that's something that's very powerful to think about. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of this meditation is also a way of making ourselves present to the realities of what happened, you know, 2,000 years ago, putting it before our eyes so that we can connect with it in a very real spiritual way. Even though we can't, you know, travel back in time, we can reflect on what happened there. And, have this deep connection with our beloved, our mother Mary, in the struggles that she went through that even though we weren't there in the moment, we can experience almost vicariously through this meditation. And so, you know, one of the, the powerful things in this is just taking time to you know, a lot like the Stations of the Cross during Lent, is taking the time to visually imagine the scene so that we can connect with it better. And it was, you know, that that really drew me into a little more of this devotion while I was in seminary in Washington, D.C. Our seminary was right across the street from the National Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, um, which is our patronal feast, as we celebrated recently, Um, you know, and continue to reverence every single year we we see in that shrine as the national shrine of the united states of america not only this devotion to our patroness mary under the title of the immaculate conception but recognizing that our nation is filled with people from so many different backgrounds so many different traditions they have dozens of side chapels and altars each dedicated to a different nationality and experience of Mary. And so you get a wide variety, you know, with chapels dedicated to Our Lady of Czestochowa in Poland, um, a chapel dedicated to Our Lady of Guadalupe, a chapel dedicated to Our Lady of Levang, a chapel dedicated to Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal from all these different rich cultural backgrounds and one that drew me in was the chapel of our lady of sorrows which is actually dedicated to the slovak community provided by the slovak community and it's got our lady of sorrows pray for us written in slovakian Mm. um, there in the chapel but what really drew me in the first time you know Um, was seeing that it wasn't laid out like the rest of the chapels. Most of the chapels there are a little bit of a more traditional style where you've got, you know, the seats all facing the altar, and as you go in, you see the altar immediately right in front of you and an image over the altar. And this one doesn't have the altar right in front. It's got it off to the side, built into the wall. And the focal point as you're walking into the chapel is a life-size pieta, Mary holding the body of Jesus as he's come down off the cross, as they've taken him down. And this was the centerpiece of this chapel off to the side, you know, and the, the altar was off to the side, and so it was a striking difference. And it led me in to pray because of that difference. And... I prayed there a number of times. I prayed in all those chapels many times, but this one in particular drew me in to meditating more clearly on the sorrows of Mary because of that striking image, so beautifully sculpted in that you know statue, but also depicted you know with the other seven sorrows alongside um, in smaller pieces. Um, but you know those those sorrows are oftentimes a thing that we don't think about when we look at other people who are living powerful lives of faith. 
We don't think about how they held up in the midst of those sorrows. And it allowed me to bring a lot of my own struggles into connection with Mary in the midst of her struggles. And it brought me a lot of peace. I was surprised to find, you know, and it wasn't until after that, that I found more of this formal, you know, way of doing it, but it was a natural thing that seeing these images in the church naturally led me when I spent time with them to the same kind of prayer that this devotion really encourages. And so, you know, We've been talking about it for a while, but I think it would be helpful to see what does this devotion actually consist of? What are these seven sorrows? You know, the simplest form of this devotion is going through each of these seven sorrows and just praying a Hail Mary in between them. When I was doing it, I wasn't necessarily praying that Hail Mary all the time. I usually finished with the Hail Mary, but I was doing a form of this devotion before it was kind of codified, you know, Um, and so it it feels a lot more like, well, how did this actually develop when the Servites were, you know, just getting started? It may have looked a lot like that. I don't know. But these seven sorrows individually are very powerful moments in the life of Mary. We start with the prophecy of Simeon, where he literally says, you know, glorifying God that the Messiah has come into the temple. He also says to Mary, and you yourself a sword will pierce, which is why we have, you know, that sword piercing the, the immaculate heart of Mary in so many images. That must have been a, a hard thing for her to experience. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, the fact that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she willingly trusted in the Lord and said yes, the Lord, God did not give her the outline of, okay, and this is what's going to happen. This is what's Mm -hmm. to come. So it's pure trust and faith in God and to have an infant and to have someone recognize him as the Messiah. And then to give that prophecy, can you imagine how it must've weighed on her heart over the years? Just the wondering, what does this mean? When will it come to fulfillment? Mm -hmm. Um, And just wanting to protect her child, her sweet baby. And then of course, just bearing that, that pain and that, I want to say, I don't know if I would say worry. Does she have worry? <laughs> you know, she has trust in the Lord, but knowing that there will be some suffering to come. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the psychological weight mm-hmm. that would have been there. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, they were afraid for Jesus's life. You know, Herod was going around killing all the infants. Mm-hmm. And so they fled to Egypt. What a terrible thing to experience, a terrifying thing to experience running literally for the life of your child Mm -hmm. to another country where you've never been before and having to build a new life, hoping that one day you can come back. Right. Refugees from the very beginning and going into a land that was not very welcoming to them. Um, culturally because of the, di- you know, the different gra- demographics that they had. And as you mentioned, knowing that Herod was in the midst of, of slaughtering infants. So again, just you'd recently just wondering even like, is this it? Is this the time? <laughs> when will it come into fulfillment? Oh, horrible. Yeah. And, you know, so in the midst of that suffering, especially that uncertainty, You know, we can see a lot of our own struggles already in just Mm -hmm. these first two, I think. And then that that third, you know, when they were in Jerusalem with, you know, the family and then on leaving Jerusalem on the way home, discovering Jesus isn't with us. What's happened? What is going on? (laughs) You know, a lot of times when we're meditating on the the mysteries of the rosary we focus on the finding of jesus in the temple Mm -hmm. but this focuses in first on that loss of jesus he's gone and we don't know where he is i think any parent if you've ever experienced being at you know a store or a mall or something and turning around just for a moment and then not seeing your child where they're supposed to be Mm. your heart just stops and 
the worry, the fear, like the frantic running aisle to aisle or, you know, looking, you know, for my children, my little one, she likes to hide if we go to clothes stores, like in between the racks of the clothing. So like looking, is she there? And your mind or my mind would go to the worst case scenario of that fear. Mm -hmm. And for Mary and Joseph to not know where Jesus was for three days. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, I feel like as a mother, I probably like spanking my child when I found him. <laughs> right. Like, what did you do? Why didn't you tell us? Yeah, um, I mean, I could imagine that just for three minutes, much yeah. less three days. Yeah. My goodness. You know, that's a terrifying thing to think, you know, to be forced to consider my child might be gone forever. Mm-hmm. I may never see them again. There's a, a scene, I, I know I mentioned this ep, this show a lot, but The Chosen, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful show that just really focuses on the disciples. And um, I think it's in season one where it does show Mary, you know, running frantically looking for her child. And, um, and of course, upon finding him, his calm response of, you know, didn't you know that I would be my father's home? But for the few moments before you see her running and, you know, even within the city and, and asking people, have you seen my child? He's this high. Um, you know, it just draws you into that, mm-hmm. that fear of, of that worry. And again, um, many people have probably faced this fear. Can you imagine in the fires of Maui, um, people looking for loved ones that, you know, not to ever find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even remembering the losses at September 11th, I mean, a lot of us have heard those tales from people who, you know, didn't get a last phone call or some of them did and know what their last phone call mm-hmm. was. You've got loads of those uh, voicemail messages that are um, on display at the 9-11 memorial in New York. And I think a lot of them are available online too. You know, this is the last I ever heard from my child or my wife or my mother. You know, those are terrible, terrible things to, to struggle with. And knowing that Mary also struggled in a similar way, even if it's not identical, knowing that she struggled and remained faithful in all of this can help us to do the same thing in the midst of our struggles, which is why this devotion is so popular Mm -hmm. and remains very popular. That fourth uh, sorrow of Mary begins the more intense set of sufferings as we begin the way of the cross, mm-hmm. you know, that Jesus, she witnessed him being condemned to death and taking up the cross, the instrument of not just death, but also torture. Mary experiencing Jesus taking up the cross and suffering in a horrendous fashion, you know, after being beaten and ripped apart physically, he's now got to bear this cross and carry it. And she's going along with him along the way. And she meets him along the way. What a sorrowful moment for her to see her son ripped apart like this. And still there's more to come Mm -hmm. knowing that there's more to come. I mean, I, I almost don't have words to say anything about that. No. Yeah. I, I think, you know, any parent who sees or who sees their child suffer, regardless of what it is, um, I'm sure they've uttered the prayers, like trying to take it from them to try to feel that pain, give it to me instead of them. Um, but knowing that this was what he was created for, I, for sure, I think that and and at the heart of this devotion is is praying to console the heart of Mary that I think, especially as we begin the way of the cross, this is um, the consolation that she needs is is to bear the weight of all of this and and recognizing that that grace of consolation flows both ways in mm-hmm. the midst of this devotion, because as we have experiences where things seem overwhelming and don't seem like they're going to have a good end. We can recognize that Mary was in a position like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, she knew that God was loving. She knew that something incredible was going to happen here, but she wasn't sure what. 
Yeah. And a lot of times in our lives, we may recognize that God is with us, but don't feel particularly good about that. You know, we may recognize that God is leading us to something that is not particularly pleasant. And God still can bring peace in the midst of that, can bring goodness in the midst of that. And that's what this is. This particular sorrow, I think, is most helpful in recognizing in our own spiritual lives is, you know, even when things look darkest, the Lord is there to bring light, just as he did to Mary. It took a while for her to recognize what was going on in the midst of all of this. But she continued to remain faithful, and that's what led her through it into the glory of heaven. Because that's always the thing that is in the back of that should be in the back of our minds and occasionally needs to be brought back to the fore as we're considering these sorrows is where it ended up in the eternal joy of heaven. You know, when one of the things I think when we talk about this and the way of the cross as a, a devotion is when people are praying the stations of the cross, for instance, we're in particular looking at Jesus and the suffering that he experienced. And this is interesting in this devotion because we're looking at Mary who she was not the one who was physically suffering. It was the emotional suffering that she was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so I think also it's helpful for us, you know, in relationship with other people and community to see that the suffering that many people have, that's not necessarily the physical, but it's the emotional. It's someone who maybe has a family member who's ill or has an addiction and they're the ones that are there alongside with them, accompanying them, that they oftentimes, maybe people don't recognize the suffering that they have because it's not so evident. You know, it's more of that internal. So I think in that sense, this devotion kind of brings a light to us um, how we need to support people regardless, emotionally, spiritually, the challenges that they may be facing, not just Mary, but those that we are surrounded by as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... That fifth sorrow builds on the fourth. You know, the carrying the cross naturally leads to that crucifixion, that moment of Jesus' death. I mean, the sorrow of Mary watching her son, who had been given to her by God the Father in a miraculous way, whom she knew was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is put to death. You know, there's a quote by um, St. Bernadine that professed that if all the sorrows of the world were united, they would not equal that of the glorious Virgin Mary. And I think in that moment, the crucifixion of Jesus, the pain, you know, I just imagine like her heart just (laughs) ripping in two in that moment of, of seeing her son, someone who she gave birth to that she loved and and knowing the fullness of where he came from and and God's intention for him and and beyond that maybe not not, not quite understanding the salvation that would come to all um just the midst of that meditating on Mary in that moment um i think that can be something that's very powerful yeah absolutely you know that that meditation on Uniting our own sorrows to the sorrows of Mary is a powerful one. And, you know, when we've experienced great loss in our lives, this can be a helpful way to connect that loss with the loss of Mary so that she can help us bring it to our Lord. When we're struggling to bring things to God, Mary can be our help. And that's what this devotion is so helpful with by connecting them to the historical, real sufferings of Mary, we can recognize that God is in the midst of our own sufferings like he was with her, bringing about goodness even in the midst of the struggle. And so then we get our our sixth sorrow of Mary. As Jesus is taken down from the cross and she holds him, his body, his lifeless body, in her arms. And there, there's so much beautiful reflection through the ages of just the, the deep sorrow that must have been in Mary's heart, remembering when she welcomed him into the world, carrying him as an infant mm-hmm. in her arms. You know, and now she's holding him again, 
full-grown man and dead. I think for anyone who has lost a loved one, um, to be able to reflect on this and to also be able to ask Mary to pray for them as an intercessor, knowing that she experienced the same. She experienced not only the loss of, of her husband, of Joseph, but now of her son. I think that this meditation in particular can be very um, supportive to those who are in the midst of that grief and that suffering to ask her to pray and inter- on behalf of them to our Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, and that's the, the beautiful moment, the beautiful moment of the Pieta. You know, a lot of people hear that word and don't igna- exactly know what it means. And it, it really is a reference to the sorrow of Mary in that moment, her deep, deep suffering. And, you know, so many different sculptors have displayed it so incredibly beautifully, you know, showing all that emotion, you know, of Mary's loss, you know, Mary's struggle, Mary's suffering. And that's a helpful thing for us to, to meditate on. That was what drew me into that chapel in D.C. in the first place that began my relationship with this devotion. Um, and it's a, a beautiful opportunity to recognize that God is with us in the midst of our struggles, and he brings beauty out of the suffering. And so we come to that final sorrow, that seventh sorrow of Mary, as Jesus is laid in the tomb. And we remember as he's laid in the tomb, you know, that finality of the tomb that, at least in the earthly realm, is truly final. You know, there's no coming back from death except for God. And that's just as we we've end the stations of the cross with Jesus being laid in the tomb, we remember in this moment that that's not where the story ends. And so even though that's a great moment of suffering, there is still joy on the other side. And so this becomes an opportunity for us to meditate on the sorrows we have experienced in our lives and the sorrows we will experience and bring them all to the Lord who can bring about goodness through all of it. Yeah, I think for those in the midst of suffering, this uh, sorrow in particular can be very poignant because at that moment, Mary didn't know if there was going to be a resurrection. Mm. You know, you know, his disciples, many of them, that wasn't quite the ending that they were expecting at that moment. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, the finality of, of you know rolling that stone in front of the tomb and he's gone. So I think to really meditate on that, that sorrow in particular is to really wrestle with the unknown of in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of loss, not knowing what God has next. Mm. They don't know yet that the resurrection is coming. And I think a lot of people, that's where they can get stuck in the midst of Mm -hmm. the pain is the not knowing. And what's really needed to get through that is that trust and that faith in the Lord to be able to see what's on their horizon. But in the midst of that, um, there is so much pain and questioning, I'm sure. But that could be a very powerful one to meditate on, especially in the midst of of it. Yeah, and I think it's also helpful to recognize, you know, that Mary, the apostles at that moment, had been hearing from Jesus for years about the resurrection of the dead. They knew that there would be a resurrection, but I don't think they fully understood how soon it would happen. A lot of us often think about the Lord's salvation as something that is far away at the end of time when everyone gets judged. And in fact, the Lord has plans for redemption and at least spiritual resurrection in the midst of our lives much sooner than we ever expect. And in ways that we can't fully comprehend until after it's happened. And so this is an opportunity for us to humbly approach the Lord with that intention in mind of, Lord, I don't know fully what you have planned. I know you were looking for my good, 
but I'm experiencing these sorrows. Other people in my lives are in such terrible condition, you know, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how this can be better except to bring it to you and to trust in your goodness in the midst of all of this, to trust that you will bring about something that will make this better. That gives us a lot of peace in the midst of the suffering when we're able to do that well. It brings us a lot of hope that things can get better when it seems like they can't. And that's really, I think, why this devotion to the seven sorrows of Mary has really endured, because it's not just an opportunity to reflect on the history and the the theological moments in Mary's life and draw great grace you know, from that meditation on her life. It's an opportunity for us to connect our lives with her and receive those same kinds of graces that she received in those moments in our lives today. You know, I know in, in the past when we talk about um, devotions, oftentimes there are graces that are connected with them. And I believe we talked about this a little bit in the last episode about how this isn't a, a, a transaction of sorts. Like, okay, Mary, I'm going to meditate on your sorrows, but this is what I want in return. You know, it's, that's not the way that it works. Um, but as we enter into this relationship, as we enter into the suffering and we lift her up to console her heart, um, we're drawn into that grace of the Lord as well. Um, and we do gain spiritual benefits from that. So I know you were speaking about it so eloquently earlier. Maybe you can talk a little bit to that um, as a part of this devotion as well. Yeah, so a lot of times as you know, devotions get popular, um, you know, there, there tend to be you know, some pretty broad statements about how they can benefit people. But with this particular devotion, we have um, actually a... a revelation, an apparition to St. Bridget of Sweden, who was a mystic who experienced a number of different you know, visions of the Lord, of our uh, Blessed Mother Mary, um, you know, in her life. And Mary, in one of these visions that St. Bridget experienced, told St. Bridget that she should encourage people to practice this devotion. And in order to encourage them to practice this devotion, she has seven promises attached to these seven sorrows. And these are fairly simple promises, but some of them seem almost impossible. And so I'm just going to list them out real quick. Um, the first promise, I will grant peace to their families. We've talked a lot about that peace that can come just from the experience of this. They will be enlightened about the divine mysteries. Well, yeah, when we meditate on the mysteries of God's life in our own, we, we will be enlightened by that light of the Holy Spirit. I will console them in their pains, and I will accompany them in their work. If we're doing this regularly, that will naturally follow. I will give them as much as they ask for, as long as it does not oppose the divine will of God or the sanctification of their souls. That's true of almost every prayer when it's prayed in that goodness of faith. You know, Jesus says that specifically in the Gospels. You know, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could make the mountain move. You know, that's what the Lord teaches us will happen when we become devoted to him. Fifth, I will defend them in their spiritual battles. Mary is always part of our spiritual battles, regardless of whether we pray this devotion or not, because we see her in the book of Revelation as the woman who is fulfilling all those promises about overcoming evil, as reversing the fall of Eve, you know, crushing the serpent's head. Mary's there in the midst of that. And when we pray you know, to her for that, it naturally comes about that she's part of our spiritual battles when we build up this devotion that's, again, continuing to be attentive to it. 
Sixth, I will visibly help them at the moment of their death. It's what we pray for in the Hail Mary all the time anyway, right? That final line, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. If we're praying that regularly, why would we not see her at that moment? When our hearts are pure and seeking the Lord and that communion with him and with his saints at all times through this devotion, I don't know that, you know, that's a terribly astonishing thing in this context. But when taken outside of that context of devotion, it might be a pretty shocking thing. Mary's going to appear to me when I die? That sounds really strange. But in the context of a life of devotion, it actually makes a lot of sense. And then this seventh promise, which is perhaps the most astonishing one taken outside of that context of devotion, those who pray this devotion and who teach others to pray it, who propagate it, will be taken directly from this earthly life to eternal happiness since all their sins will be forgiven. That seems astonishing. And it seems like, you know, outside of this context of devotion within the faith, it could be saying, if you just pray these prayers and teach others to pray them, you got to take it straight into heaven. But that's not what Mary's saying in the midst of this, in this apparition to St. Bridget of Sweden. She's saying that when you are devoted, you will grow closer and closer and closer to the Lord. You will become purified of all your sins because of this attentiveness to the place that God has in your life. When we build up these devotions as true expressions of our love for God, and our love for his saints, especially his blessed mother, Mary, we naturally become free from sin more and more because we're more attentive to the things of God. And so if we've got an active sacramental life along with this spiritual life of devotion, of course we'll go to heaven. That's what this whole religion is about. That's what all the sacraments are about. That's what being devoted to God is all about. It's about being in communion with him, not just in heaven, but also in this life. That's the astonishing thing that Christ teaches us. And so this devotion to our lady and her seven sorrows is one way of building up that closeness with God so that we do attain eternal life by bringing his unending eternal life into our lives. And I love hearing you say that and put it into perspective because it's about, as you mentioned, this growth in our relationship with the Lord, our growth in the understanding of our faith and our spirituality. And through that, we are obtaining these graces. It also reminds me of when I think about this devotion, um, I'm a part of a women's small group. We meet frequently and we share with one another our lives and our sorrows and our joys and we pray for one another and we pray with one another. And it's not my prayers that I'm lifting the other person up to the Lord. I'm asking God to be close to them and vice versa. And it makes me think of this with Mary as we console her you know, as a as a friend, as a sister in Christ. We're lifting her up and asking God to to be with her in her pain and vice versa. She's intercessing on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And if we ask and the sorrows that we're experiencing, the challenges that we have, she's also doing that. So it, it sounds so much more beautiful, this relationship, relationship and this growth in Christ and our understanding of faith, not just about a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times we are tempted to see these promises on the face of them and assume it's a transactional thing. You know, but... It's, it's not. Nothing in our faith really is about that transactional nature. In fact, that's actually what pagan worship was all about. If I offer these particular things to this God, this God will respond by giving me, you know, a great harvest or, you know, will protect me from floods. You know, that's not our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's never what he's wanted. Even the sacrifices in the Old Testament we're not sacrifices of, I give this to God and he blesses me as a result of this offering that I have given. No, they were offerings of thanksgiving, offerings of sorrow, of reconciliation. 
you know, and we still have those same kinds of offerings in our life of faith in our new system because it's serving the purposes of the same God. You know, we are seeking to renew, restore, and grow that connection with God in our sacraments and in our life of prayer. And so the more we do that, the more it naturally leads to that communion of life that is deepened, you know, beyond just the, the connection and the conversation to really being a covenant of life that is really the fulfillment of what was meant for us in our baptism. You know, at the beginning, we mentioned that suffering can be a source of grace and life mm-hmm. for others, which seems very strange. But I think in light of Mary and her suffering, it illustrates so perfectly how her purpose or her pain and suffering had a very specific purpose. It mm-hmm. was necessary. Jesus had to die in order to save us. Um, that was the way that we we're able to obtain our salvation. And so as an an unfortunate necessary consequence, she had to have experienced that pain, but it was redemptive in that sense. There was a purpose for her pain. And I think for many people, maybe we've heard that phrase, you know, offer it up or offer up your pain to the Lord. Um, In essence, we're doing the same. When we have experiences in our life where we have suffering, where we are feeling the weight of, of that pain, we also have that opportunity, like Mary, where we can make a purpose of that, that we can offer mm-hmm. it to the Lord. I mean, I, my parents did not, I didn't grow up with that saying, but I know many people who grow up <laughs> in their ho- households where if anything happened, if they got hurt, their parents would say, offer it up, offer it up. <laughs> um, but I think it is something that there's a beautiful theological truth to that, that we really can take any pain or things that we're experiencing, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, and we can offer it up to the Lord in union with him and his sacrifice for the salvation of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, and it's, it's that element that you know, turns the seemingly unfortunate sufferings that we have in life into something that is actually fortunate. It's why we've got that weird, weird phrase in the exalted that we sing at the Easter Vigil where we say about the fall of Adam— Oh, happy fault that won for us so great a Redeemer. That doesn't make sense on the face of it when we just consider suffering for what it is in the earthly realm. You know, suffering as we look around the world is terrible. It's awful, horrible. But it's something that God chooses to use so that we can become more than what we are. It's something that God chooses so that we can experience something that helps us to grow beyond who we are, beyond selfish human beings who only seek what will benefit us or the people close to us, and helps us to expand our hearts to become more like his beautiful, sacred heart that loves all for who they are, which is why, you know, we connect these seven sorrows with the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And in fact, in that that chapel in DC, they have the Immaculate Heart of Mary, but instead of just one sword referencing Simeon's prophecy, it's got all seven swords for each of these seven sorrows piercing that heart of Mary as a recognition that that is a purification of her heart, a sign of her holiness that she remained faithful in the midst of all of this and continued to say yes over and over and over again and continued to cooperate with the redeeming love of God that opened the gates of heaven to all believers. She participated in that in a much more immediate way than we tend to participate, at least universally. Mm -hmm. But we all have an opportunity to participate individually in those lives in which we can influence when we know others are suffering or when we ourselves are suffering, we have this opportunity to turn to the Lord in prayer and invite his grace to be abundant in the midst of the suffering, not just to end the suffering, because we saw, you know, these last four sorrows, one led to the other, led to the other, led to the other. 
They were all part of the same experience and all part of the same mission. And in fact, all seven sorrows are all part of the same mission of God. And so we have an opportunity as we bring our individual sorrows, these things that we're struggling with or others in our lives are struggling with, we have the opportunity to bring it to the Lord, to unite it to that source of all grace, all goodness, and eternal life and love through the witness of Mary who did it for us first as she was experiencing it in that moment. And we continue to connect with that so that we can do it on not only for ourselves, but on behalf of others. Because ultimately, you know, Mary wasn't just doing it for herself. She was doing it for others. She knew that Jesus was there, not just for her, but for the rise and fall of nations. And so her experiences, whether she necessarily intended them to be or not, were for the good of all. And as she knew more and more, I'm sure she cooperated more and more, recognized more and more her role in the midst of all of this. Especially as at the crucifixion, Jesus said to his beloved disciple, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. I mean, that's a powerful thing for us who want to be beloved disciples of our Lord. Recognizing that we're still in the midst of all of this and we bring those same graces into our lives is a powerful thing. And that's how we really offer it up, by connecting with the offering of Jesus on the cross that we present every time we come to Mass on that altar. We offer it up again and again. And so that offering up in the midst of our daily lives is not meant to be a contrite, oh, deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. but is really meant to be a spiritual recognition of our sufferings, our participations in the sufferings of Christ when we have that spiritual discipline built up of treating it that way. You know, it becomes even more a participation in the life of Christ when we're able to connect our sufferings with his. Absolutely. As you mentioned, it gives that purpose to the suffering. There could not be a resurrection without the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it reminds me of the, the scripture verse, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. The Lord asks each of us in our own lives and our own experiences to lay down our lives, um, trusting in the Lord that he will produce much fruit. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, the, the more we reflect on the depths to which Jesus calls us to participate in his life is a powerful thing. And So, you know, meditating on those words of Christ, on the stations of the cross are powerful, helps for that, but also meditating on this life of Mary, you know, and her witness as the first of the saints, the first one who fully experienced this connection with our Lord in his sacrifice on the cross because she was doing it in that moment, inviting her to be with us, to help us with that so that we are united at the foot of the cross. Powerful, powerful spiritual mm-hmm. grace can come from all of that. And so, you know, I, as we're closing this episode, I just want to encourage everybody, you know, even if you're not fully into, you know, praying this regularly, at least give it one shot. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're struggling with something or you know somebody who's really experiencing great pain, praying through these seven sorrows of Mary and connecting the sorrow that you're experiencing for yourself or on someone else's behalf can be a powerful way of bringing it to the Lord. So I, I just encourage everybody to try it as a new tool in your toolbox. Yeah, this is honestly the first time I've ever prayed it was when we started researching this. And if you go to YouTube and you just type it in, there's so many different ones that you can choose from where they'll guide you through the process um, with reflective music and uh, reflection scripture on the different passages. So I, I definitely agree. I would like everyone to try it. 
And then something that I was thinking about as well, um, at least here at St. Joseph, we have our columbarium, we have the beautiful labyrinth in the midst of it. And just recognizing the power of intercessory prayer, that there are so many people who are suffering. I encourage people as a tool, if you're here in our local community, walk the labyrinth. And as you do look around at the different people who are interned in our columbarium and pray for them and on behalf of them. So that would be my tool number two. And then the third one I want to tack on is for all those who are interned here, they have loved ones who are grieving them, whether their lives were lost recently or even years ago, sending them a card, a consolation, thinking about you on the anniversary of the death of your son, um, just holding them in prayer as well and letting them know that they are a part of a, a larger community that loves them and sees them in their midst of their grief. Absolutely. As we close this episode, we invite the intercession of our patron, St. Joseph, the husband of Mary, to pray for us and for all those who are struggling with grief. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Joseph. Pray for us. Head of the Holy Family. Pray for us. Glory of family life. Pray for us. Cornerstone of families. Pray for us. Terror of demons. Pray for us. Protector of the Holy Church. Pray for us. O God, who in your inexpressible providence were pleased to choose St. Joseph as spouse of your most holy mother, grant, we pray, that we who revere him as our protector on earth may be worthy of his heavenly intercession, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. Remember, we are all a work in progress, so be sure to tune in next time to gain new tools to help you build the church at home.